0: end the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. I've been traveling for the last week. I think this year I've done more traveling than maybe any other year. I'm not sure. It's it's been a lot. (laughs) But this last week was uh, a blessing. And I was able to go to all over uh, the state of Wisconsin, which I'm not actually that familiar with Wisconsin. I just associated with Wisconsin with farms and cheese. And I got to find out how uh, beautiful actually, Wisconsin is. and farms not that farms aren't beautiful, they are. I enjoy farmland, but uh, there's some wonderful scenery at Devil's Lake. and then um, we went up uh, I mean I can't remember the name of the river now it's it's escaping me that we were at uh, in the north uh, western part of the state. Uh, but that was uh, beautiful as well and uh, it, it's more diverse than I thought. And a lot of states are like that. People think if I say that I live in New York, they'll say, uh, in fact, I had one person. I remember one time tell me, "I guess you don't see a lot of trees because he's just thinking of New York City." And I said, "Well, actually, we got tons of trees. We got uh, beautiful forests uh, where I am because I'm not in the city. New York's a big state." And so I found the same is true of Wisconsin. And uh, so I just am so thankful for those who were very generous uh, to uh, put me up and um, let let me speak at their uh, churches. And, and uh, there were some political events and. Uh, It was just a a blessing, and I I hope uh, I was able to encourage people. I think that did take place, and and even some people who uh, didn't agree necessarily with my perspective on some of these things were able to come and hear a different perspective and uh, maybe get a copy of uh, the books, Christianity and Social Justice. Social Justice Goes to Church, and so we just had a great time. And, And One of the big blessings for me when I travel is being able to meet Faithful pastors, uh, church leaders, just faithful men and women uh, in churches, uh, mainly churches that we would consider uh, from especially a more Bible Belt perspective to be smaller, you know, when a church that's under 500 people in some places is, is considered small. I was surprised when I heard that uh, in, I think when I was in Lynchburg, someone told me that, uh, oh, that's a small church. It's only got 400 people. And I'm thinking, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a big church where I come from. But uh, but speaking in churches, you know, with uh, 50 people, uh, 200 people, I mean, th- these are uh, places often in areas that are either rural or uh, maybe somewhat suburban, and, um, and not that I haven't met faithful pastors in urban areas, I certainly have, but uh, mainly uh, I think I've spoken at, in places that are probably rural or suburban where uh, things are, they're just kind of off the beaten path, but these pastors are absolutely faithful, and It is so encouraging to see that, to see churches with lots of stability and uh, a plan for the future, and just uh, a lot of there's a lot of joy when you follow God's law and you're uh, with people of like mind. And so, um, I'm just so blessed to be able to see that all over the country. And one of the things that burdens me is that so many of you who are listening, who are in tight uh, spots in situations where you feel like there is no one around you. Or it's very difficult to find like minded believers or a church for that matter. I just, my burden is I wish I could just share that with you and I could just show you hey, there, there are places and, and there's actually quite a few of them out there. And uh, so, yeah, Wisconsin, uh, there are churches in Wisconsin that are very solid and faithful and um, had a wonderful time. And, uh, and many of these uh, host families love to show me around their area. So uh, I was able to, to get some cheese. Uh, that I'm looking forward to eating. I, I haven't tasted it yet. I, they actually ship it from the cheese factory. They they have cheese factories in Wisconsin. And uh, one observation, though, about Wisconsin, I just got to say for everyone out there, and this probably applies more broadly speaking to the Midwest, um, a lot of uh, German people, a lot of, uh, I think uh, they told me, Scandinavian uh, people in that north uh, northern area of Wisconsin. But of course, the whole Midwest has a lot of German, uh, German uh, people, people who trace back to Germans who have immigrated and Um, and there is something about it that's different than, uh, there's a number of things actually that are different than the Northeast and the South, but one of them is, uh, things are very clean. I just noticed that even going into rest stops and restaurants and, um, public places, uh, things are very clean. I feel like I could almost eat off the floor in some of these places and that there are exceptions, Chicago being a big one, but especially in more rural areas. It just seems like even though uh, it's farms everywhere, that people are very orderly, neat. And I think that's that might be a, a German thing and a Swedish thing to some extent that uh, it's different than, you know, when you drive around in the south in a rural area. Um, oftentimes you'll see half buried cars and, uh, and, and not in any particular order either, you know, and, and they're just kind of out there. And, uh, and nothing necessarily wrong with that. I'm not criticizing or anything. I'm just that's uh, it's a cultural difference. Uh, the Scotch Irish people are are very different than the German people. are are very different. I'll I'll tell you from people up in the Northeast. Uh, people in the Northeast, especially on a Fourth of July or Memorial Day or any weekend you go to the beach, uh, very very messy, very trashy, trash left everywhere. Stadiums after ball games and all very. Uh, and, and in fact, I was it was interesting. Not, this isn't the point of the podcast, but I some people might be interested in this. Uh, George Washington, when he was leading the Continental Army, and he went north, he was from Virginia, right, and he met people, uh, I think it specifically he said people from the Massachusetts Bay Colony area, he described them as really trashy people, that they were just really, uh, just just not, uh, they didn't meet his standard of cleanliness, and I remember thinking, well, that's so interesting, because uh, I've... I, I definitely noticed that difference uh, when you travel. Uh, and everywhere, you know, is different, different cultures, different expectations, there's always good and bad things, uh, just about everywhere. Um, and, uh, and I enjoy seeing that diversity. So that was one one point, it may be in the corner for the Midwest there that very, very clean. And, uh, and I did kind of like that to some extent. So um, anyway, I just uh, enjoyed it so much. And I just wanted to thank everyone uh, who was part of that. And And those of you who are praying for me as I travel, I think this is important. I think what I'm doing on this podcast is probably more important now than maybe it's ever been. I don't know. In some ways, um, I wonder whether or not there's a diminishing value, uh, especially when you look at conventions uh, or organizations like the Southern Baptist Convention and you see how it's been given over. I, I wonder whether or not, you know, should I keep talking about them? I mean, the window of opportunity seems to have closed and the exposure seems to have been done. I I often don't know what to tell people who uh, wanted. In fact, there was someone just the other day who wanted to know about a certain Southern Baptist uh, operative, if you will, and whether or not they were on the level. And I'm thinking, man, I've done so much work exposing that person. And so I was, and it was good. I was able to uh, share. But I there are people and I understand kind of waking up from a slumber. But uh, but I think by and large, the people who are going to wake up have already. Um, seen the extent at least enough of the extent of the corruption and moral co- and um, theological compromise and if you didn't see it honestly I mean all you had to do was stream the convention probably if you just streamed it for an hour any portion of it probably just if you were flying the wall at any time in that convention for an hour you would have I don't think it, it probably mattered almost what you saw you would have seen something wrong somewhere and so, uh, anyway, I, I just think that a lot of the awareness is is there. There are still people that are uh, figuring things out, but the information's available, and that's what I think is is been important. But in another sense, so so that's one of the things that I look at. And I'm like wondering, you know, is what I'm doing is of a diminishing value, especially in a denomination like the SBC. But I know there's other denominations which we'll talk about probably next week. That uh, we're going to talk about the Christian Reformed Church a little bit. They had some changes this last week as well, and they were kind of overshadowed by the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, there's changes in the Lutherans and the Presbyterians, and and there, there's other things, of course, to focus on and expose. But uh, a lot of what I'm in, I'm doing when I go to churches though is I'm not exposing. Uh, I am presenting on the errors. It's apologetics in a way. It's it's showing. Uh, it's discipleship. It's uh, this is th- this deviates from the Word of God and from the teaching of Christ, our Lord. And so we need to watch for it and condemn it uh, when we see it. So people know exactly why it's wrong and what it is. And so I'm not naming actually a lot of names. I'll, I'll definitely name some, uh, but. Uh, it, it's not because I'm afraid to or anything either. It's just because I want to focus on uh, giving people tools to understand what the issues are. So we talk a lot more about the issues and concepts and, uh, and and that's, I think, something that is not diminishing in importance. And if anything, that is something that is becoming more needed than it's ever been. And uh, I think a lot of people in, well, people in the conservative world more, and I think theological conservative uh, against the postmodern and Marxist push, they've uh, there's been a few materials that have come out as resources, and uh, some are decent, some some are um, some are good, some are in general. I think there's a dearth there. There needs to be a lot more, and but I think that we've that those materials have almost stopped being produced. There we we're moving on. There there was kind of a blip on the radar in 2020, and a lot of people wanted to react to that, and all, and then it, it's kind of fading out, and. The reality is, though, the issues aren't going away. The issues are, uh, if anything, getting exacerbated and more ingrained. You might not see buildings burning down because of BLM or something, but critical race theory is becoming more ingrained this year than it was last year. It's becoming uh, deeper. uh, There's more control that people who advocate for that have in institutions, and they're pushing it. And the danger now is it's become normalized. So um, if, if there's any negative attachments to critical race theory, it's only the most extreme end of critical race theory. The people who advocate, uh, you know, reparations might be critical race theory. But if you um, have implicit bias training, of course, that's not critical race theory, right? And, and my how things change so quickly and become normalized. Uh, and, and so that's, uh, that's what I think it, this needs to still be focused on. And uh, I am no... Uh, I'm no fool when it comes to this. I I know that it becomes more and more dangerous over time as more and more powerful institutions and people become enamored with uh, not just critical race theory, but the whole social justice panoply, the Me Too stuff, the, now the environmental stuff. Uh, more and more statists emerge who want the government to handle everything from guns to disease control. And... Uh, it becomes dangerous to be someone like myself in a way. You, you blacklist yourself more and more every day you speak out publicly. And, and I get that, and I'm no, I don't have any illusions about that. Uh, I know that many of you in academia and even in church hierarchies are, um, yeah, many, many of you are, are suffering, and, and sometimes silently, uh, or you say something but you feel kind of uh, overwhelmed or outnumbered. And, and you may not even be, it may be that you have a few people at the top uh, really intimidating the majority, but whether you, you're in the minority or majority, it's scary to step out on that limb. And, uh, and so I think these tools uh, of understanding and responding are, are just, they're going to be more and more important as time goes on. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and they can call me any name they want to call me and try to smear me however they want to smear me, uh, but it doesn't change the truth. And it's for for me. This this podcast has never been about me. It's never been about building my platform or seeking influence or seeking uh, some kind of a status in, in any kind of hierarchy. It, it's always been about just giving you the tools that you need before God to respond to this stuff. And so that's what I was doing the last week, and uh, that's what I'll continue to do um, until uh, I I think the Lord has something else for me, and then. Uh, Lord willing, I'll step away and, and do something else, uh, maybe ministry related. But um, but for now, uh, we're going to be focusing on social justice, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it, and we're gonna talk about the 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 changes that are happening. Uh, for today, I'd like to talk about the Southern Baptist Convention because I didn't get to talk about it as much last week. But before I get to that, I want to share with you uh, a, uh, a a company. I want to share a company that I have benefited from, and that's Gold River Tea. Uh, in fact, I'm drinking some right now. They're iced tea. They're summer iced tea, and uh, it's really good. It's uh, it, it's iced tea for the summer, and you need iced tea in the summer, uh, and then you don't want weak tea either, and so it's not weak. It's it's just it, it tastes really good. It's flavorful. You can go to goldriverco.com. That's Gold River Company, goldriverco.com, and put in the code CONVERSATIONS, for 10% off on your purchase. Now, they also have teas for the winter, but uh, right now, uh, when, when it's the temperature it is outside, I want a good uh, cup of cold tea. And so I'm drinking their uh, green tea summer blend, and uh, it is good for you, It's um, it, it energizes you, it cools you off on a hot day, and it's from a company that's pro-American, it's pro-Western civilization, and most importantly, it's pro-Bible, it's pro-Christian, and I'm tired of giving my money to companies who hate me and hate what I believe. And so it's good to be able to purchase tea from a good company. So go to goldriverco.com and get yourself some tea. All right, let's talk about the Southern Baptist Convention. I want to give you some clips from last week's uh, convention from, from the, the annual meeting. Uh, and, and I want to talk about some of the most um, famous ones that are being passed around. And the first one is going to be a clip of Rick Warren. Who is essentially defending himself. He, uh, as I explained in a previous podcast, his church was uh, in danger of perhaps the Credentials Committee, which is responsible for assessing whether a church is in compliance with Southern Baptist Baptist, uh, doctrine. Uh, They were in danger of getting kicked out of the convention because they have women pastors, and yet the Credentials Committee, and I'll show you that clip later, but the Credentials Committee decided that they weren't qualified or ready or able to Uh, Kick Saddleback Church out. So, this was a public discussion going on, and Rick Warren decided to weigh in on that discussion. And so, I want to say one thing before I I play the video. It's interesting to me, I don't know why this is, but in years previous, I've always been able to go back and play the Southern Baptist Convention and and find clips and stuff. This year, it was only a live stream. You can't go back, uh, at least not that I could see anywhere, and find a place that you can play the entire convention and watch it again. Uh, so uh, some of these clips I was able to see live, but I was traveling. So I was not able to see a lot of them. A lot of them I had to uh, listen to other people tell me what happened. And uh, and then these were some of the more popular clips that surfaced on the internet from people who were recording the live stream. So here's the one, uh, the first one. And this is probably when, when people remember SBC 2022, this may be the more uh, or the most significant moment they remember possibly this whole issue of Saddleback Church and, and women pastors and, uh, and then Rick Warren uh, defending himself. There's been some interesting memes online kind of making fun of Rick Warren, uh, things like that he, he planted the church he was baptized at, you know, before it just things that are impossible. But Rick Warren kind of like is the Chuck Norris of evangelicalism now. He can do anything. And, uh, and so here's what he said that's uh, provoking some of these uh, memes and humorous responses.
1: You know, um, first, everybody welcome to Orange County Southern Baptist of 149 Southern Baptist churches here, 90 of them started by Saddleback Church. You know, it's customary um, for a a guy who's about to be hung to let him say his dying words. (laughs) I have no intention of defending myself. I have taught my kids and grandkids for years. I am most like Christ when I refuse to defend myself. The Bible says Jesus spoke not a word unto them when Pilate accused him of all kinds of things. So I have no intention — I have most of you on my mailing list anyway, and I can write you and tell you what I believe about the gift of pastoring as opposite from the office of pastoring. But I'm not here to talk about that. Lunchtime, I wrote you a love letter. And I'd like for my possibly, likely, last convention to read it to you. Kay and I could have not built Saddleback Church to its size and influence in any other denomination. I love Southern Baptist. I am a fourth-generation Southern Baptist pastor. My great-grandfather was led to Christ by Charles Spurgeon and sent to America as a church planter. Saddleback was sponsored by the North American Mission Board. I served on the staff of the California State Convention and the Texas State Convention as a teenager. Billy Graham picked me up when I was 18 and for the next 52 years mentored me because I started at 16 years old, hired by the California Convention to preach youth revivals and I had preached over over 120 uh, harvest crusades before I was 20. Billy took this long-haired, skinny Californian and mentored me for the next 52 years. Here's my love letter to you, because I really am grateful if this is my last convention. Because of Southern Baptist polity, I was allowed to serve one church for life. That's not possible in those denominations. And And grew it to become the largest church in this convention. Because Southern Baptists gave me a passion for evangelism and mission, we baptized 56,631 new believers, and as a Southern Baptist Church sent 26,869 members overseas to 197 nations. because Southern Baptist taught me the value of a membership covenant, 78,157 members of our church signed our membership covenant after taking a four-hour membership class. Because Southern Baptist taught me to emphasize the priority of Bible study, we now have 9,173 home Bible studies in homes in 162 Southern California cities. Because Southern Baptist taught me the value of church planting, as I already mentioned, we planted 90 in Orange County alone, and literally thousands around the world. Because Southern Baptist taught me to honor and love the local church, I've had the privilege for 43 years of training 1.1 million pastors. That Sorry friends, that's more than all the seminaries put together. I owe you all so much, so I sincerely say thank you Southern Baptist for shaping my life. And You're never going to find another Baptist who agrees with you completely on everything. There are Baptist brothers here today who don't believe Jesus died for the whole world. But we imagine somehow get along with them. So as Western culture grows more dark, more evil, more secular, we have to decide, are we going to treat each other as allies or adversaries? Second, since this is the year 2022, that means we are 2022 years from the birth of Christ. Now we know Christ started his ministry at 30 years of age, Luke tells us that, had a three and a half year ministry. Christ died in AD 33, he was resurrected in AD 33, he gave the Great Commission in AD 33, He sent the Holy Spirit and started the church in AD 33. That means 2033, just 11 years from today, is the 2000th anniversary of the Great Commission. I hope one of you, because I won't be here next year, will make a resolution that Baptists take the next 10 years to finish the task of the Great Commission in our generation before the 2,000th anniversary of the church. Are we going to keep bickering over secondary issues? Or are we going to keep the main thing the main thing? We need to finish the task, and that will make God smile. Thank you, everybody. I love you.
0: According to Rick Warren's math, you just heard it. I did the crunch the numbers. He trains almost 3 pastors, 3 every hour. So for the last 43 years, in that in that span he has trained 3 pastors every hour including while he's sleeping. He's trained 71 pastors a day. <laughs> I don't know where he's getting this number that 1. million pastors that, that he trained Saddleback trained in 43 years. That's an incredible number. I don't know if he misspoke. I don't understand where that's coming from, but that's that's a whole lot of people. And and he says that was more than all the seminaries put together. And so I think that, along with some of his other statements, have uh, caused him to be the subject of some ridicule. And I think it comes back to his statements about he doesn't want to defend himself, but then it seems like he's defending himself. He doesn't. Um, he says I owe you, but really, what he's saying, kind of, it, it seems like, is you actually. You owe me. Here's all the pastors that I've trained under the flag of the Southern Baptists, and the missionaries I've sent out under the uh, the uh, flag of Southern Baptists, and for the benefit of Southern Baptists. Um, but 120 harvest crusades before he was 20 years old. I mean, he was name dropping Billy Graham, Charles Spurgeon, um, and then you have, and, and this is this is the main reason I think that this was it has become the memorable moment for the convention because he went on for, how many minutes is this? Probably, I don't know, uh, that was, I think, about seven minutes or so. He, he's able to go on without any interruption from the stage. Even Ed Litton, who's presiding over the meeting, amens him. And I think I heard him do it at least twice. You hear amen in the background. It's Ed Litton at the microphone saying amen to what Rick Warren is saying. And that was not that kind of treatment was not given to uh, to others in the convention, uh, most notably uh, Tom and his wife Jennifer Buck when they were trying to address uh, the the stage about uh, the issue with his wife's mistreatment um, by uh, those in the convention who sought to share uh, a rough draft she had made years ago that told the story of uh, abuse that she had um, undergone before her marriage to her husband. And this is being compared by some, and and they're saying, why in the world is Rick Warren let to just continue on as long as he wants? There's amens from the stages. He's respectable. He has the biggest church in the Southern Baptist Convention, according to him. If it's not, it's definitely up there. I mean, there's a lot of people that go to that church. He's... Uh, I mean, that's that's the obvious thing that, that would stand out and make you wonder whether or not that's why he was able to just defend himself like this, even though he says he's not defending himself. And then what he says at the end there, that we need to keep the main thing the main thing. This is the big question. What is the main thing? And he was, you know, there was people clapping for him. And what is the main thing? Well, the main thing is the gospel, according to Rick Warren, we need to go and we need to get the gospel out there to the world. What if someone were to come to you and say, well, the main thing is the gospel. It's not the Trinity. The main thing is the gospel. It's not the deity of Christ. The main thing is the gospel. It's not whether or not the Bible's true. Uh, I mean, you would probably say if you heard any of those things, well, we have to have an inerrant, infallible word of God. We have to have a Christ who is God. We have to have uh, the clear teaching of God uh, from Scripture about Himself if we're going to have the Gospel. The two cannot be separated. The two go together. Uh, if just try to undermine the inerrancy of Scripture and then uh, say uh, convince someone that Scripture is rightly teaching us when it talks about the story of Jesus and repentance through. Uh, by faith, uh, by grace through faith, in him for salvation. It's silly, and yet that's what seems to be happening in the convention. That seems to be where the the direction is that uh, some of these quote-unquote secondary issues that really aren't secondary issues are now becoming uh, watered down and seen as secondary when they're not. Now, the issue of uh, women pastors Uh, i i can people have asked me is that a secondary issue john and i i have friends uh, who are pentecostal or um or in other church traditions who believe that women can be pastors and i have a strong disagreement with that i don't believe that that's the case i don't think you can get around scripture but there are people who i think mistakenly uh, will promote the idea that there can be women pastors Here's the question I have, though, about this, and this will determine really whether or not this is a primary issue or this or a secondary issue. And this is, and I realize there's some out there who would say, just this is a primary issue. I understand that, but this is this is where I'm coming down on it, though. Uh, the question is, what do you think about the Bible? Uh, what do you think about the Bible's teaching? Do you think it's true? Do you seek to undermine it? Do you seek to do gymnastics around those passages that you don't like? because there's actually another authority that you're trying to appeal to. to Perhaps uh, the man or or a cultural authority that's based in man's wisdom is what you actually believe, and so you're trying to bend the Word of God or ignore the Word of God so you can serve your true God, which is your own mind, yourself, uh, pleasing the world. If that's what's happening, then you have a primary issue now because now— you are undermining the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture, which is actually a direct attack on the nature of God, that what he, his character, if if that's the motivation behind it. And for a denomination like the Southern Baptists, who are not assemblies of God, who are not Pentecostal, uh, they don't. And, and, and so I just want to say, I think there are Pentecostals. I think there are some. I I'm, I've I've gotten to know some who. I think they're they're wrong, but they're they um, th- their motivation is not that they're not uh, trying to accommodate at least th- some of the ones I know the culture or some other authority. They legitimately think that the Bible is okay with women pastors, and uh, and and I like I said I disagree, but I, I think at, they're they're not um, they're they're not trying to undermine the uh, inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture. This is different than the Southern Baptists, where the Southern Baptists actually have a stated belief on this in the Baptist faith and message. And this is also historically, the Southern Baptists have always had this position on women pastors, uh, as far as I know. And so when you have a denomination like that, and, and it's still on the books, this is still the stated belief. This is still what people must share in common in order to cooperate with one another for the purpose of missions. And now they are waffling on their own statement of faith. You have two things going on that are very bad. You have, number one, you have the undermining of the Bible itself. Uh, And and I do think that the motive behind this is to try to accommodate, to accommodate people like Rick Warren, to accommodate the culture. Uh, But then you have something else going on. And the reason I should just say, the reason I think it's, it's, it's accommodation is just because I can't think of any other reason. No one's coming forward with uh, biblical arguments like you would see maybe with the Assemblies of God for why women can be pastors. Everyone's kind of on board with that idea, but they're trying to split hairs on whether or not uh, the function and the office can be separated. And they're they're trying. It's a halfway measure. It's kind of like the same the same sex attraction Christianity stuff, where it's like, well, we're against homosexual marriage, but we just think you can have these desires, and that's perfectly legitimate, and it's not sinful, and you can celebrate gay culture without endorsing gay behavior, and I mean, it sounds silly, but that's it's that's because it's a halfway measure, and that's what's going on with this. There's, there's a halfway measure going on right at the moment when uh, the um, pressure for the Southern Baptist Convention to accept egalitarianism is, is, is higher than it's ever been. And, and there, there isn't—these uh, aren't biblical arguments, really. They're more pragmatic concerns. Uh, and and these are new. These are innovative uh, arguments that are taking place for the Southern Baptists. That will, you know, they're, they're trying to put the onus or the burden of proof on traditional Christians in the denomination who have always held Baptist belief on this subject. That now they have to somehow prove that well, the, the office and the function are one and the same. And really, it's the opposite. The burden of proof is actually on those who are making the claim that those two can be separate. So they're making an assumption there that there, there is a separation when you're not going to find that assumption in the Scripture. That's not where it's rooted. It's rooted somewhere else. They're finding it somewhere else. They're bringing something else in, and their own wisdom or their own uh, their own opinions on this, and then they're subverting the Bible and putting the cramming of the Bible into their new paradigm. And they've done the same thing on uh, the critical race stuff, and they, they've done the same thing uh, on, like I said, uh, some of them on this uh, same-sex attraction issue. And, and so we see it again uh, with this. It's, you could Some people would call it maybe the Hegelian di- dialectic, but it, there's this halfway measure, this accommodation, this appeasement uh, going on. And it's, it's very concerning. Uh, and so this is probably going to be one of the number one moments uh, that the moment the Southern Baptist Convention started going, shifting to say, well, the main thing isn't our statement of faith. And that brings me to the second point here. So not only is it undermining the Scripture and what it teaches and what Baptists have held that it's taught, it's undermining their own statement of faith. So it's, it's undermining the Bible, okay, but it's also undermining their statement of faith. Why is that important, John? Because it comes back to some basic character issues, lying, uh, deception. If you can uh, make a stated agreement and you all sign it, and you all get together and you say this is what we'll hold to, and then you start changing the rules and redefining the document, how is that any different than what we've seen happen to the United States con- Constitution? It's not. It, it's uh, it's presentism. It's relativism. It's it's postmodernism. It's you. Words don't mean what words mean, and we can't go back and find out what they meant at the time in which they were written and look at authorial intent to determine what they mean. We must now, because we're in 2022, I guess, and now you have a big Southern Baptist church that has women pastors. Now we have to uh, interpret the older document that had a very specific meaning on this uh, through the lens of what we think now of that term and how people are misusing that term and changing the dictionary. If that's not a downgrade, I don't know what is. And so in response to this, there's a uh, Al Mohler got up and he had this to say, and I think this is going to be between, between what Rick Warren said and what Al Mohler said about this. Uh, th- this is going to be one of the biggest things that's remembered about Southern Baptist Convention 2022. And so I'm going to play you the clip and I'm going to start with uh, the um, uh, the credentials committee and their report. They talk about this issue and then Al Mohler's response to it and then I'll I'll give you some commentary on Al Mohler and his response here we go
2: our scope is limited to considering the question of whether a church is currently in friendly cooperation with the convention as described in SBC Constitution article 3 our assignment is to form an opinion as to whether a church has a faith and practice that closely identifies with the convention statement of faith to form that opinion Our committee relies on previous actions of the convention, the Baptist faith and message, adopted resolutions, and the convention's governing documents. It is important for you to know that although we can inquire of a church, we may not investigate or use any process that would attempt to exercise authority over a church. To do so would be in direct violation of Article 4, of the SBC Constitution. We are a recommending body only. We have no decision-making power. That power lies with you, the messengers of the Convention, or with the Executive Committee acting ad interim between annual meeting sessions. Only the Convention or the Executive Committee has the authority to declare that it will no longer recognize a church as a cooperating church with the convention. Our committee typically meets one time each month, meeting anywhere from two to five hours. These meetings also require several hours of prep work before the meeting from each committee member who are all volunteers with other full-time and part-time jobs. Current Credentials Committee members include Jim Averett a retired Vice President Administrative Service Southern Nuclear Operating Company. He is a member of Dawson Memorial Baptist in Montgomery, Alabama. Brother George Russ, Executive Director, Metropolitan New York Baptist Association. Brother Greg Field, Senior Pastor, Nellis Baptist Church, Las Vegas, Nevada. Stacy Bramlett, Bank Senior Vice President, First Collierville, Tennessee. Serving as ex-officio is Brother Roland Slade, Senior Pastor, Meridian Baptist, El Cajon, California. Brother Don Currents, SBC Registration Secretary, Administrative Pastor, First Baptist, Ozark, Missouri. And myself, Linda Cooper. And I am a registered dental hygienist, a member of Forest Park Baptist Church. If you have a tooth problem, come see me. I could use a piece of floss right now. (laughs) These men and women highly respect the magnitude of our work. I would like to thank each one of them for their hard work and dedication to the submitters, survivors, and all the SBC churches. For those of you who have been praying for us by name as we serve the Southern Baptist Convention, I say thank you. We greatly need and appreciate your prayers. During the 2021 SBC Annual Meeting in Nashville, Tennessee, a motion concerning the relationship of Saddleback Church, located in Anaheim, California, was referred to our committee for consideration. For your reference, our report and recommendation can be found on page three of the Tuesday Bulletin as follows. Based on the information available to us currently, including direct communication with Pastor Rick Warren, who was so gracious in answering our questions regarding faith and practice, we have concluded that we are not yet prepared to make a recommendation regarding Saddleback Church, recognizing that there are differing opinions regarding the intent of the office of pastor as stated in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Therefore, we are coming today asking for a study committee to provide clarity regarding this matter. We feel it is very important for you to know that it is the unanimous opinion of the Credentials Committee that the majority of Southern Baptists hold to the belief that the function of lead pastor, elder, bishop, overseer is limited to men as qualified by Scripture and that this was the intended definition of office of pastor as stated in Article Six of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. However, the Credentials Committee has found little information evidencing the Convention's belief regarding the use of the title of pastor for staff positions with differing responsibilities and authority than that of lead pastor. For this reason, The Credentials Committee moves that the following recommendation be adopted. The Credentials Committee recommends that the Southern Baptist Convention during its June 14th, 15th, 2022 annual meeting in Anaheim, California form a study committee The members of which shall be appointed by the President to report to the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting June 13th and 14th, 2023 in New Orleans, Louisiana, a recommendation to provide clarity regarding the office of pastor, as stated in the Baptist Faith and Message Article 6, the church. Given the many different offices within Baptist churches, which include pastor in the title though often with very different responsibilities and authority. Mr. President, that concludes our report and our recommendation to this great convention.
3: Thank you for that. That is a, the question is, the Credential Committee Report on page three. Microphone five. Five. Microphone 5A, you have a point of order. Would you state your name, the name of your church, your point of order, and help us understand what has been done wrong? Mr. President, my name is Bill Askell, pastor and messenger from the Bethel Baptist Church in Owasso, Oklahoma, and I'm going to put my earplugs in so I don't sound like I'm drunk, all right? Now, what I want to speak to is a point of order with reference to the Resolutions Committee, but a brother is behind me who wants to speak to a point of order, and I'm gonna yield to him because I love him dearly and thank God for him. I introduce to you Dr. Al Moller,
4: Mr. Chairman, I just come to this microphone in the event that it is in order for me to speak. I'm speaking as a messenger of the Third Avenue Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. I served on the committee that brought the Baptist faith and message in 2000 that was overwhelmingly adopted by this convention. My concern is as a churchman, a theologian, and uh, someone who loves this convention, as I know everyone in this room does. If we eventually have to form a study committee over every word in our confession of faith, then we're doomed, and we're no longer a confessional people.
3: Dr. Mueller, yes. Dr. Moeller, would you? Your you're microphone number five, I recognize you again to continue speaking to this. Thank you,
4: sir. I certainly want to be in order yes, with sir. the rest of this convention. Yes. I appreciate the opportunity, I'll I'll make this brief. I also appreciate the good work of the Credentials Committee and the spirit in which they bring this. But I am a confessionalist. This is a confessional denomination. We say what we believe in specific words that are the Baptist faith and message. The moment we start to, of necessity, have study committees to decide what the words mean, The words mean what Southern Baptists said in the year 2000. At that time, the word pastor was used by the committee and adopted by the convention because we were told that is the most easily understood word among Southern Baptists for pastoral teaching leadership. I have to hope we still have that much clarity and that churches that use the word pastor mean it. Mr. Chairman, thank you for this opportunity.
0: All
3: right, is there anyone who would speak for this recommendation? Someone from the committee.
2: Dr. Mueller, I understand totally. I, to me, I know what pastor means, but in some of our Southern Baptist churches, pastor is a spiritual gift that is given to many people. So we have—we wanted clarity excuse me, excuse in me. what that pastor means.
3: With all due—ladies and gentlemen, with all due respect, that is not how we do our business.
0: Well, what you just heard was, in my mind, similar to statements made in politics uh, from Bill Clinton, not knowing what the definition of is is, from a recent Supreme Court justice in confirmation hearings saying she didn't know what a woman was because she's not a biologist. She couldn't at least give a definition for it. And this brings up a question. And the question is, where did this come from in the convention? How did we get to a point when you have... The credentials committee of all committees, which should be responsible to, for knowing what the Baptist faith and message teaches and applying it, because they're responsible for booting a church if a church isn't in compliance. How in the world do they not know what their own document seems to say? Now, much could be said here, but one of the things that has not been pointed out, uh, at least in my hearing, I'm sure it has. Uh, in places i'm not aware of is that the the chairman of the committee i believe that was the chairman if i'm not mistaken it's someone representing the committee but i think it's the chairman uh is a woman (laughs) obviously it's a woman who comes out and represents the uh, the committee's position on this and i've wondered for a while whether or not that is a contribution to this you can go back and watch a episode that ad robles and i did together on the conversations that matter podcast where we analyzed a recording a student had taken in class of Danny Aiken teaching on complementarianism and Danny Akin's position is, is a soft complementarian position uh, according well I don't think Danny Akin would describe it as that he would see himself as just complementarian but it, it, it I'll, I'll if I have time I might play you some clips from it later but he uh, he even opens the door for well you know I wouldn't let Lottie Moon be a pastor but if she wanted to preach on a Sunday you know I would let let that happen and so there there are things like that in there. But one of the things that I remember A.D. and I talked about uh, was the board for the seminary, the board, the the trustee board. And at the time, the chairman of the board was a woman. And I believe there were a number of women serving as trustees. And and it was peculiar. And I think A.D. made the point that it's peculiar for this reason. You have an institution that believes that only men can be pastors. And... It's supposed to be training male leaders for the church, for missionaries and church positions, and so the, what the trustee board is going to be responsible for, in part at least, is to determine things like uh, curriculum changes or um, or address curriculum if there's a problem that comes up, address the direction of the seminary, what they do, and it just seemed it seemed odd, according to AD, that you would have the chairman of that committee that that is truly responsible for the seminary being a woman when that person could not even go through the program that she's in charge of essentially she couldn't go she, she could go through it but she couldn't um, go through it for the determined purpose the program's there for she couldn't exit an mdiv program and then get ordained in uh, a church that it was in cooperation with the seminary as far as uh, the, the statement of faith and so it would be, you know, why would she go through that whole program? What would be the point? What would, uh, it's just, but yet she's going to be in part responsible for making decisions about the seminary. And A.D. just thought, you know, there's some tension there, it seems like. There seems, that that seems unusual. It seems odd. seems like that, those aren't, you wouldn't want people on your trustee board uh, who are d- making these decisions when it's, it's not, uh, I think the way he phrased it was, you know, women can't be pastors, but boy they're the ones that really know what's good for pastors to learn and know and 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 I thought it was a pretty valid point I'm like yeah that is kind of odd but we've been in that for now years and so you have uh, the trustee board being represented and I, th- I believe being chaired I should have looked that up by by uh, or the uh, credentials committee being chaired by uh, a woman here and it it's I don't know if anyone noticed the irony. Well, if, if you can have the person who's responsible for applying the Baptist faith and message, uh, and determining whether and, and literally involved in the discussion of whether pastors are are male uh, can be female or not, and that and that person herself is a woman, she has authority over pastors in the convention. She's there's another hierarchy here, which is the in a way which is the convention. Uh, and, and the credentials committee is determined, there, there is an authority that comes with this, but, and so she's over pastors in this capacity, then that undermines, would seem to undermine your stated belief, at least the assumptions behind your stated belief. So we're not technically violating it because she's not a pastor, but we're giving her a level of authority beyond a pastor for these specific purposes. That, to me, is an obvious it's so obvious, in my mind, that is an obvious um, manifestation of the undermining of the basis for complementarian or patriarchal views, because it's no longer something that's I think pe- most people would think of as rooted in creation. It's just we have these kind of arbitrary rules in the Bible that we're responsible for. You know, women can do anything but be a pastor, apparently, and uh, and so um, that's. That's what's happening in the convention, and I think it's just its obvious why. It, you don't have to really analyze this much. You just see who is the one representing the credentials committee there, and, it, and it, I think it becomes kind of clear what's going on. Now, Al Moeller came out and uh, made a, a very good point. Uh, he was direct, and it's a curious thing to me because he did not do this in 2019 uh, when Resolution 9 was up for debate. He got on his show the next day and talked about it, but he he had to also kind of uh, voice his pr- appreciation for the resolutions committee. And he, he couldn't, he wouldn't take this hard stand on that issue from the convention floor. And other things have happened from the convention floor. Now Moeller is not there. Now he did on this issue. And the question is why? And the answer is, I don't fully know because there's not a lot publicly available. I've talked to people who uh, have known Moeller pretty well and they've told me what they think is going on. But that, that there's no publicly available thing I can point to to say this is why Al Moeller did it. And I think it's safe uh, or it, it's reasonable, I think, to just take him at his word here that uh, at least part of his motivation is he legitimately believes that this is a threat to the, the convention. And this is an area that for all of Al Moeller's waffling on same-sex attraction or same-sex orientation, and whether it exists or not, and is waffling on reparative therapy, and is waffling on uh, uh, critical race theory, which has been his probably his biggest uh, issue. And I've gone through that. In fact, I go through it in detail in the book, Christianity and Social Justice, Religions and Conflict. He hasn't really waffled, to my knowledge, on the issue of women preachers and complementarianism. He's been pretty consistent. In fact, he rebuked Beth Moore, I think it was in 2018 or 19, uh uh, not by name, I don't believe, but he insinuated some things uh, on Twitter, and that was so he was willing to kind of take a stand on this one issue when he wasn't with all these other things. Uh, I mean, and we found out even recently with this whole Jennifer Jennifer Lyell situation. I mean, he he was also uh, really making paving the a way for the Me Too movement in the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, he's kind of been on board with the progressive trends in at least three areas, the Me Too movement, the BLM or critical race theory stuff, and then the soft pedaling of LGBT. He's He's been at the forefront of those things. And yet this is one thing, women pastors, where he does tend to deviate. And for those who don't know, when Al Mohler took over Southern Seminary in the early 90s, this was one of the things that shocked some people or surprised uh, liberals who, and I'm talking classical, like, like not classical liberals, but the the, liber- the kind of liberals that were um, not postmodern, but more modernist liberals. They were denouncing, or not denouncing, but teaching against biblical inerrancy and that kind of thing. Uh, they were surprised that Al Mohler had come in and changed his position because Al Mohler's position was egalitarian, and all of a sudden, without him telling them, he's now a complementarian. How is this possible? And uh, I think it was one professor, former professor there. He says it in the the documentary. Um, about the the conservative resurgence at the time, he said uh, that you know Al Mohler is just going to switch back when the winds blow in a different direction, and so Al Mohler has been known. This, this is really mainly what the, the the myth surrounding Al Mohler, the the larger than life Al Mohler. This is really where it, it's it's what it's rooted in is that Al Mohler is a strong complementarian, and he he kicked out all the people who uh, believe in things like women pastors, and he took a stand on it, and. Uh, and, and that's what he's been known for. And so that's, it's part of his identity, I think. And and, uh, and and maybe he legitimately does have that as a conviction. He believes that, even though he's an opportunist, perhaps, in other areas, that he may actually believe this. And uh, and so we'll see what happens. And, and he also, this is an issue that maybe he thinks is a winning issue. That could be also. I mean, he, he got uh, an applause for that. But um, it's... Uh, the damage has been done, I think. The assumptions have been undermined, and and that's where we're at now. And so I appreciated there's a pastor, uh, Alan Nelson, who wanted to ask Danny Akin, the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, if Danny Akin saw any relationship between them uh, giving women MDivs uh, to to be qualified to be a pastor and this confusion over what a pastor was. And so I'll play that for you and Danny Aiken's response. Dr.
1: Bacon. Yes, yes, sir. sir uh, my name is Alan I'm Nelson. Nelson. I'm a
4: messenger from Perryville Second Baptist Church. Dr. Aiken, my question is this
5: Do you think that there's any, any connection, connection between your institution conferring, your institution degrees, conferring degrees, upon degrees upon women, women for pastoral, pastoral ministry? ministry and this, this convention's confusion about what a pastor is and pastor is whether or not a woman can pastor. be a pastor? Do you see any connection at all between your institution? giving women degrees for pastoral ministry,
4: and our misunderstanding about what pastors are. Thank you. Well, I can't speak to whether there is a connection. What I can tell you is we allow women to enter into any degree program at our institution. We do provide classes that are specifically for women that are going to have a teaching ministry as a woman to women. But we do not endorse uh, anyone to ministry. That's not what your seminaries do, but we're also crystal clear women are welcomed at Southeastern Seminary. We want them to come and be well prepared biblically and theologically in every area. And they do know in advance that we are a loving, gracious, complimentary in school, and that may be why we have more women studying at Southeastern today than at any time in our history. So ladies, come on. You're welcome.
0: Now this rah, 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 let's clap because someone said something that we agree with that didn't really address the actual question. Let's, uh, in the previous clip we watched, clap when Ed Litton says, we don't conduct our business this way. When, when there's uh, some way to push back on the people who are trying to keep the denomination from sliding away from orthodoxy, when they are neutralized because people want them neutralized, that is a death blow to the Southern Baptist Convention. The, the very people responsible for trying to maintain the statement of faith they have, the orthodoxy they have the beliefs that they supposedly hold in common, those people who are the defenders of that document and concern that that document's being undermined are being marginalized, to pick a word the social justice warriors love, in the convention, not because there's someone who's directly attacking them and saying, we disagree with the statement of faith and we're going to undermine it. They're not being direct like that. You shouldn't, by by the way, expect people to be that direct. They're going to be subversive. Satan's subversive. Why wouldn't you expect that? They're, what they're doing is they're indirectly uh, getting them for things like their, their tone, their, uh, the way that they're doing it, um, uh, strawmanning them, as if, as if the question is that Alan Nelson, you just heard him ask, as if his question were, you know, should any women be allowed to get theological education? I mean, that's not what he's asking. Uh, his answer is about whether women should be trained as pastors. And if we are assuming that that's okay, that, and, and that's encouraged, then wouldn't we assume that there's going to be some confusion on that downstream? And the answer is, yeah, there would be confusion on it. Uh, and so, I mean, it's not that women shouldn't have a theological education, it's should they specifically be trained as uh, pastors and take the classes that pastors need to take for their specific function, their job, their role. Those things are all uh, part of the same uh, thing in Scripture. They're not separated. I want to take a trip with you down memory lane uh, with Danny Aiken, if I may. If you go to spring of 2019, I was just looking up some notes, and I was... <laughs> I was remembering as I went down a uh, trip down memory lane, uh, in fact, I'll make this slideshow because I'm not going to go over all of it, but available in the info section for patrons. If you want to go see this slideshow from the situation in 2019, then you can. But uh, briefly speaking, we had Beth Moore saying she was preaching uh, from uh, on Mother's Day. We had um, some people at Southern Seminary, Chom uh, uh, Schreiner and uh, I think we had, as well, Danny Burke, kind of, and uh, we had Owen Strand, who was teaching at Mid-America, or Midwestern at the time, all, uh, without naming the name, I don't, Owen might have, but they were trying to, uh, I don't think they were naming the name, they were just trying to um, to hold up a complementarian view. Uh, they were being opposed, uh, their view, uh, by people like Dwight McKissick, um, and Uh, Thabiti Anabwile, to some extent, Uh, obviously Beth Moore, Russell Moore. You you actually had Pastor Grant Gaines and Russell Moore uh, opining on Twitter about how great it would be if the next president of the Southern Baptist Convention were a woman. This was 2019 this was happening. And and so, yeah, we can't have women pastors, but, yeah, the next president of the Southern Baptist Convention, she should be a woman. And and so this was all going on. Well, in that circumstance of Beth Moore, um, I think Beth Moore quoted the pre- previous president of Southern Seminary, Honeycutt, and supported this more egalitarian view. And, and Al Mohler came out without naming Beth Moore, but Beth Moore knew who he was talking about. And Al Mohler, he said, uh, we have reached a critical moment in the SBC when there are now open calls to retreat from our biblical convictions on complementarianism and embrace the very error that the SBC over over 30 years ago. Honestly, I never thought I would see this day. And I don't know why he wouldn't think that he would see this day, but it, this is uh, th- this was the situation in 2019. So Mueller actually was in favor uh, on the side of the complementarians at that uh, point. Now you had Danny Aiken though, at this point, and And I just want to say, guys, just remember what I said before. This doesn't mean that he wasn't pushing other stuff. This doesn't mean that the Me Too stuff, the critical race theory stuff and soft peddling of LGBT wasn't happening. But he, he was upholding this. And so were many of the professors at Southern Seminary, and they still uphold a complementarian view. And Danny Aiken during this time was recorded in a class in which uh, after that, I'm told that uh, not just that class, but universally across campus, students were then told they were not allowed to record lectures anymore, which is very telling. But in this particular recorded uh, class, Danny Aiken, who I I guess didn't know he was being recorded, talked to um, a group there at the seminary, And I have some quotes that I'll read for you. He says that he believes in a, quote, kinder, gentler complementarianism that asks, quote, what can women do instead of what can't can't women do, which I think is all the the wrong question. The the question is what's God's design for women and men, not what can what can't they do. But that's how he frames it. And he says, I don't see anything in the Bible that says a woman cannot be a king, a queen, or prime minister, or a president. This is, again, preference. I don't think it's smart to have women referees or a woman coach for a bunch of guys. That's a wisdom issue. I can't give you chapter and verse. Then he says, women can pray, read the scriptures before the Sunday sermon. They can assist in baptism and serve the Lord's Supper. He begins to get uncomfortable, his word, if a woman starts exegeting the text. Um, Yet, he also says... Uh, that uh, he he says that uh, W.C. Criswell um, and his wife led a Bible study, co-led a Bible study for 50 years at First Baptist Dallas, and and he thought it was unwise. Uh, He says, I think it was probably even, uh, I don't want to say unbiblical, because if I say that then, I'll I'll just say that I don't think it was the truest expression of what the Bible teaches about what women do. I don't have a problem, and here here we go, teaching uh, you... um, uh, if you pick the context, uh, co- in co-ed fashion. Uh, ex- uh, ex- exceptionally, but not normative. So here's, here's where we get the soft complementarianism. He goes, if Lottie Moon were alive today, would I have her come to my church and speak on a Sunday morning? I would. But she wouldn't be there every Sunday in the authoritative position of a teaching elder. Who wouldn't want Lottie to speak on a Sunday morning? So this is the question. This is the question. Are the office and the function separated? If the if they're separated, and you can have someone who takes the function of a pastor for a Sunday morning, but isn't the regular pastor and uh, doesn't maybe have that title, then you've just given up the debate. Because if they're not tied together, then why not you know why not be loose with the term pastor itself? If we're just able to make things up, which is what's happening here uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention now. Why not just say, "Well, we're going to call these people pastors," but they're not. What's different from what Danny Aiken's saying from someone who just says uh, preferentially? I think it's fine for a woman to preach half the year, but not the other half the year, or or less than half a year, so people don't get the idea that she's the pastor, or 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 that a woman can now be a pastor and take that title, but as long as they're not the lead pastor and regularly. Uh, exegeting scripture, or a woman can preach a passage as long as she doesn't exegete scripture in that passage. If she just share, she she can um, she can share an experience, let's say, instead of preach the scripture. Or, I mean, you get what I'm saying. It becomes origami. You can just uh, you you can just make the rules up as you go and say that you're being biblically faithful when you're not. And um, and so Danny Akin uh, is not patriarchal in the least, he, he, he is not looking at a created order and saying, well, God has intentions in the way he created things, and so leadership belongs to men, men should be the leaders in so- social situations, uh, of, you know, like the government or the church, or he's looking at specific texts, and he's saying, well, this text specifically says a woman can't be a pastor, and then it's kind of like, but we can everything, as long as we technically don't break that command, then we can do everything else. So it's, it's missing the whole idea that there's a design in this, that the scripture's assuming a design that's different from uh, men or different from women. Women have a maternal nature that uh, men don't have, by the way. I mean, they have advantages that men don't have. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Uh, there's they're, they're, and, and that where is where the idea of complementarianism uh, comes from, that they complement one another. But he condemns uh, in this uh, speech he gives uh, Owen Strand's uh, tone, you know, when Owen Strand uh, goes for complementarianism pretty hard, and he says, I'm very much where Russell Moore is. <laughs> uh, he says, Russ has been one of those who has been helping promote the Women's Network, and they just met recently last week at the ERLC, and you know, engaging these questions. He likes where Russell Moore's at. And this was at the time Russell Moore was saying, Why not a woman president of the Southern Baptist Convention? So, this is, this is Danny Akin, and Danny Akin's one that's responding, uh, three years later, now responding to a question about, hey, is what's happening at your seminary? Did, could that be contributing to the confusion over this? You bet it's contributing. We've heard Danny Aiken in class teaching at the seminary, confusing this issue. He, he's the kind of guy that gave them, the credentials committee, the very uh, arguments they're using right now to separate the function and the office. He did the same thing. Now, he might not go as far as them, but he did the same thing. So this is what we have going on in the Southern Baptist Convention, and it's the death of the Southern Baptist Convention. And it's not because, well, this is how progressives uh, phrase things generally when they hear someone like me say this. It's like, well, you just you think that women getting involved in ministry is the death of the convention, or you just think you just don't like women. Uh, no, it's the death of the convention because not be- it really has little to do with women getting involved in ministry. That's not the issue that's killing the convention. The issue that's killing the convention is the— Uh, rejection of the authority of Scripture and the authority of their own guiding documents and the inability to interpret those documents. If you can't interpret them, you can't enforce them. If you can't enforce them, there is no unity anymore because people can just lie about what they believe or make it sound, uh, make it define it however they want. And if you don't have people with uh, the same, they're not on the same page theologically, then trust is... There is no trust anymore. You don't want to fund an organization that doesn't believe what you don't believe. And is it any wonder that there's hardly any trust between the two sides now in the Southern Baptist Convention? There isn't. There's no trust. It's it's totally destroyed. And these things are all related. You have to realize they're related. And IMB missionaries have told me for years, decades on the mission field, they have in areas where there's not many Southern Baptists, let's say they have to partner with cooperative program money with local um, people who are uh, New Apostolic Reformation, Pentecostal, Charismatic, uh, all sorts of uh, theologies there that are uh, different than the Baptist faith and message, and yet they have to partner for ministry with them, women pastors included. And these stories don't make the light of day just because uh, the IMB, you know, when you leave your forest generally, or you have to sign a um, non-disclosure agreement in order to get your benefits. And so these people aren't talking about it, but they'll say privately sometimes, and so if that's, if that's what, you don't have to believe me on that, I don't have a source I can point you to publicly, but if that's what's happening, let's say, in the IMB, and if this is what's being taught at seminaries, though they're trying to keep it under wraps, then it is no wonder that you had what you saw yesterday at the convention floor, and you have to ask your question, why did that happen? How did that happen? You have a convention that isn't able anymore to define to what a pastor is. And that's a real problem. So, hope this was helpful for all you Southern Baptists in seeing kind of one area in which there's kind of a deep cancer. I want to say this kind of at the end here. Uh, two things, really. Uh, I want to say number one that um, the ah, man. This could probably be a separate podcast. So I'm thinking of if I want to go here, let me just make it very brief, and maybe I'll expand another podcast, but conservatives seem to be more motivated now on the idea of women pastors because it seems black and white to them. You know, we have a Baptist faith and message. You can't have women pastors. You have people in here that don't know what a pastor is or they think there's a place for that. And, and so they're more motivated on this. And they, and they have been, I think, for a few years. But I think what's happened is, and, and this isn't criticizing anyone in particular. This isn't, I, don't take it that way. Uh, I have much respect, by the way. I don't want to say this specifically about Tom Askell. I have much respect for him to go through what he went through at the convention. Um, it's it's not easy going through that and being uh, called the things you're called and all of that. Uh, would I have called, I mean, I've said this publicly, would I have called out false teachers by name and said what they're doing is false teaching and been a lot more aggressive? You know, if I was in that position or something, yeah, I probably would. But anyone who's willing to run against the machine uh, the, the liberal machine, is going to take some hits. And so um, I just want to say about him and, and then everyone at CBN, I, I do have respect for what they attempted to do. I think, though, that the the issues that are emphasized among conservatives with any clout in the convention have been issues that aren't necessarily the, the the same issues that would motivate and, and, and in fact the level to which they uh, are going after these issues they're not so there's two things they're, they're not the same issues that people in the pews are as concerned about even though maybe they should be and because it's not as it's not all that aggressive and there's not an identification of false teachers and who they are and why the false teaching is dangerous except for We have a Baptist state, and we have a book. We have a Baptist faith and message that also um, gives us a complementarian view. Uh, There's just not a huge motivation, I think, to show up at a convention, and so I'll I'll expand on this, I think, in another podcast. But if if the issue, think about it this way: if the issue was, uh, we have people in the convention who do not hold to the same view on the authority of Scripture as we do. Even though, yeah, they say they sign the statements, they say they have that view. I believe in the Danvers statement. All this. We have people in the convention, though, who are, they are putting themselves in opposition to the very Bible that you hear from every Sunday and read every day. And uh, the reason that you support the Southern Baptist Convention uh, is because you want the, the Bible, the teachings of the Bible to get out there. And you have people undermining the Bible. And by the way, they're false teachers, uh, because I can show you other areas in which they polluted the gospel, or if they're not false teachers, they're like Peter, and they're uh, giving cover to false teachers, and they're not repenting of it. So they are worse than Peter because they're not repenting of it. And uh, we need to go kick these false teachers out of our convention who have false doctrine. And if if that was kind of the message going out there, scorched earth, you know, these people need to, there's no compromise with them. We're not sharing anything. Once we become in charge, we're booting them kind of thing, which no one wants to say. I get that. I, you, you may motivate the base more. or there, there may, That window of opportunity that I think is closed, uh, I think that, that may have motivated the base to show up. But most people in the pews, they don't know what complementarianism even is. That, that's something that's foreign to them. They're, they, they're hearing it. They're trying to get, you know, they should know it perhaps. You know, they, they should know what patriarchy is, but they, I don't think most people do. In the pews. They know what the Bible is, though, and they know what undermining the Bible, what, what that is and how it's bad. And and so there's been kind of uh, the level of the discussion has been a little more um, academic and kind of just it, it, it's been very uh, measured would be the nice word, but uh, weak would be probably the not so nice word. It's been kind of weak. It's been uh, there's been a lot of uh, behavior that I think would be in accord with. a a time in which everyone was supposed to treat each other like gentlemen We, we are past that time now and and so i think that was one of the reasons that uh this year we saw a light turnout for conservatives and they're just not motivated by this issue as much though they probably should be for the reasons that i've mentioned uh and for years, there was kind of a concern about woman pastors in the convention among conservatives. They wanted to emphasize that, but they didn't, there weren't, there wasn't a lot of evidence. So you'd find a church every now and then, like a North American Mission Board plant that they had women pastors. And then, you know, maybe there would be a stink about it. There would be a response. We don't support this, something along those lines. And it would go away. It would die down. But it was never like characteristic of the entire denomination. And the people going to their churches are thinking, well, my pastor isn't like that. And, you know, it's hard to see it. Um, I think conservatives rightly saw that this was going to be the way, if we're going to go this way on critical race theory, then we're going to go this way on women pastors. But I think they were much more comfortable debating women pastors at, at the convention, uh, putting out material against women pastors, all, all of that, than they were with dealing with the woke, the, the woke critical race theory woke stuff. And That was more prevalent. That was more systemic to the denomination, characteristic of it in every entity. And the big churches pretty much universally. And that was, it was always a hard thing, I think, for conservatives. I'm just giving you my opinion at the end of this. Just my opinion. I think it was always a hard thing for conservatives to go after that because they were afraid of being called racist. And it was also, for them, it was academic speak they weren't familiar with. Conservative Baptists are familiar with complementarianism. They have to learn it. They talk about it in seminary, but they're not talking about critical race theory and how to respond to that in seminary. And so it's just out of their comfort zone. And, and it's it's a fearful thing too. Once you understand it and you see how it works and you see how easy someone gets canceled for being a racist. Uh, and you even see the examples of, uh, of Southern Baptists uh, or people talking about the SBC and who dare to challenge their... Uh, critical race theory infused racial reconciliation and how they're called racist in 0.2 seconds. Uh, It just creates, I think, a lot of apprehension. And so it was much more, it was higher ground. It was much, it was much more defensible ground in the mind of conservatives, broadly speaking, to go after the egalitarian issue and women pastors. And that's been going on, I think, for a few years. The evidence wasn't that strong, though. It just wasn't a motivating thing. Of course, the everything was there that I mentioned uh, that showed you that this was where it was going, but it just wasn't overt. Well, now, it's starting. The beginning of the overtness is starting, and I think I, I think people have left. Unfortunately, people who are. A lot of churches who were very concerned about the critical race theory stuff and just didn't want to be part of this woke denomination in their minds just ended up leaving. They didn't see a huge amount of pushback. They saw some, but it wasn't, it wasn't a lot. And now I think the conservatives, this is where we are now, I think conservatives are, they're, they're raring to go on the complementarian issue. And it's just the, the army's been downsized so much. And so it's a less, less people are coming every year. In fact I'll play you this clip. Uh this is what Tom Askell said after the convention after he um graciously lost and and uh, he he said this about people who came out to support him.
3: But I especially want to
4: thank those who sacrificed to get to Anaheim specifically for the presidential vote. Uh, I have one brother tell me that he spent one and a half years' worth of his allotment of money in the church budget for conferences in order to come. Another man told me this morning that uh, he took a mortgage
3: payment out of his family budget in order to come. Uh, I don't even know what to say.
0: This is one of the things that we've been talking about for now a while, uh, since, I think we've been talking about it since 2019. And I, I, know I asked, um, uh, folks, uh, that are, that are higher up in the conservative, um, movement, if you want to call it that in the Southern Baptist convention, what the ground game plan was. How do we get people out when you have uh, a high number of people that are paid to be there, uh, from Nam, and then you have a high number of people who come out from big churches that can afford in their budget to send people there. And, and and how do you get conservatives from little churches in the country who don't have the money to play for a plane ticket in a hotel room in California to show up at a convention? And that's been a difficult thing. And uh, and so what Tom Askell is describing here is a problem that I don't know how it's overcome. People aren't going to be taking out mortgages every year so they can show up at a convention where they lose and they're outvoted. And I mean, it's just not possible. And I, I would greatly respect, I want to say it, I greatly respect the people who did this. I'm not saying it's stupid or dumb. It's, it's actually, I think, what they should do uh, if if they're going to stay in the denomination. They, they need to make an effort. There, there's a timetable for that, though. There's a, There's a point in which you have to say, this isn't worth it anymore. And I, and I gave a whole thing on eight reasons to leave the Southern Baptist convention last year, because I could see that this is where it was going and there, there didn't seem to be an, a way to recover it. And yeah, it's sad. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of money <laughs> wrapped up in these institutions, but there's, if, if there's no way to, I mean, if you're going to be expending a lot more money, both personally and, uh, and as a church, or, um, if you're going to be, even if you win, um, just pay whatever it is—the fourteen dollars a year—to remain in the SBC, the minimum amount. And you, but then you still have to pay to get the, to these conventions, and it does cost money. And so, uh, I think the writing is on the wall for the SBC, and this is just further evidence. And hopefully, this is a further, um, just for those on the fence on this, I ho- I hope that this helps you see how thoroughly compromised the Southern Baptist Convention is, because if they can't even keep to their statement of faith, they can't even define their statement of faith, there's no basis for unity. There's no basis for cooperation at that point. And it's been undermined for years and in various ways. And now we're starting to reap the consequences of it and starting to see, I think, what will be a bigger push within the next decade, within the convention. Eventually, you're going to just see, I think, the acceptance of women pastors. I don't know how you get away from it. It may take some time, but but even now, it seems like some of the pushback is... Uh, it's more symbolic than anything. You know, how much of it actually is going to affect things if the credentials committee can't even apply their own statement of faith. So if that's confirmation for you on leaving, then I I will have served my purpose, I hope, uh, in this particular video. If you're going to stay, I'll say what I always say, then I greatly respect you for fighting, but you need to fight if you're going to stay. And you need to have an exit strategy if things don't go the way that uh, you're wanting them to go, so I don't know if that's next year or, or the year after that. And uh, and I have a great respect for the people who did uh, go and expend time and money and tried to make a difference, uh, even if whether or not thing, they did things the way I would have done, or that you know this, we all do things differently. But he, but the the point is that I think people need encouragement, and so uh, so I I think it would be good, you know, if you're listening to this and you haven't said thank you. To CBN folks, uh, I mean, who's at CBN? You have you have know, Rod Martin, you have Brad Jerkovich, uh, you have um, then obviously Tom Askell running for the position. You have Vodi Bakum. I mean, Vodi Vodi was there running for president of the Pastors Conference. He's been really clear on on these issues uh, in in fault lines. You have um, you you have some people with some good character you know, leaders in their churches, leaders on the mission field that were trying to make a valiant effort here, and uh, and some friends of mine uh people i know from the american reformer involved in this and you know if you know someone who was part of this effort i just would thank them you know they're even a defeated army still needs uh they, they need um some encouragement and uh so my my goal here isn't to kick a dog while while it's down at all i i, I don't um intend to do that i i want to encourage as well but i'm going to give you the real deal i'm going to give you what what i really think and so uh I, I really do think that yeah i mean it, for for the last few years not this convention we, we could have been more aggressive on false teaching and really tried to to rally people and, and and we would have been called all kinds of names but uh to to forget about that and just go for the jugular on that but uh there the, the efforts were still made very strong efforts uh to return the, the denomination to orthodoxy and uh, within the SBC, I mean, the main thing is thou shalt be nice and thou shalt not speak evil of another fellow Southern Baptist. And uh, I think there's a, a fear ingrained in the culture of the SBC that if you do that, you're toast. And, um, and so I understand some of the aversion that some people had to, to doing that. But, but despite that barrier, there was still a great effort made this year. And so, uh, so thank you to all the people who did make that effort for, for just for exposing this. I mean, what, what, what you've done, if you went to the convention and you voted and you were part of this effort, what you've done is not a waste. It has served to further expose when you've pushed on these things and asked the questions you've asked from the microphones. It has exposed who the people running the convention really are. And, and we needed to see the truth. And the truth is always important and worth fighting for. And uh, many of those in the convention who came, who went out there, that's what they were there for. And so this is not a waste. God saw it. And for those who even took out mortgages, um, you know, don't think that your effort was in vain, but assess what you're going to do for next year. That's all I got to say. Hope that was helpful. Uh, So much more to say about the SBC, but I need to get to some other things. So we'll see what, what, what happens next week.